You're listening to Strong Runner Chick Radio, episode 56. Welcome to Strong Runner Chick Radio, a leading online community where our goal is to educate, empower, and connect female distance runners across the world. We believe in healthy running, fueling, and embracing our strength as female distance runners inside and out. Through interviews with top professional, collegiate, and master's level runners, leading dietitians, coaches, sports psychologists, and runners of all shapes and sizes, we hope to spread the message that there is no one-size-fits-all approach to distance running. Now, let's get to the show. Hello, Strong Runner Chicks. Welcome to another episode of SRC Radio. I hope you're having a wonderful day wherever you are. We're actually recording this, I think, the day before the first day of autumn. I think tomorrow is the first day of autumn, which is very exciting. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I love the fall weather. What about you, Meg? Are you a fall weather person? Yeah, favorite season mm-hmm. by far. And um, we are joined today by Simi. And Simi, how do you say your last name? Bowditch. Bowditch. Oh, I never would have guessed that. No, it's at not all. at all how it's not at all how it looks. And normally, if I'm on a podcast, it like it usually doesn't get said right, and I just don't even like correct it at all. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I want to make sure it's said right. So, Simi Bowditch is is yeah. how you pronounce it. And Simi, are you a fall weather person as well? One hundred percent. I was just talking to my sister today, and we were joking that we wish that seventy percent of the year was fall, and then every other season could get ten percent, and we'd be happy as clams. Oh, that is so accurate. I can't even, I can't even describe how that would. That would be perfect in an ideal world. That would be perfect. <laughs> um, so let's take a moment to introduce Simi. Simi is a coach, speaker, and author of Letting Go of Leo: How I Broke Up with Perfection. Through her work, she helps women all over the world ditch perfection, heal their relationships with food and body, and embrace their beautifully imperfect lives. And you can learn more at her website, Simi Bodich. Bodich? Is that right? Bodich. Bodich. Darn it. Bodich. SimiBodich.com. So, um, listeners, I'll put that in the um, show notes so you can spell it and probably hopefully say it better than I did. Don't spell it like how it sounds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so Simi, how did you get your start in the field of wellness? Um, I got started doing this as a career path really through my own personal journey. So before becoming a, before becoming a health coach, um, I was a corporate healthcare attorney. So I guess it was technically well, the wellness field, but not really at all. Mm -hmm. Um, so I practiced corporate law and during the time when I was practicing as an attorney, I was really um, coming to the most intense part of a really long personal struggle that I had um, with my own body. So I struggled with food and my relationship to exercise and the way that I saw myself for a really long time. And when I was practicing as an attorney, um, it it got to the most intense part. And I finally decided to reach out to someone and get help because I just had one of those moments where I was like, I cannot do this the way that I'm doing this anymore. I'm so exhausted. I'm so overwhelmed. 
I'm so like heartbroken by the way that I feel about myself, but also I have no idea how to do it differently because I've been doing it in this way for so long. So I reached out and I got help and I actually worked with a health coach at that point. And she started me on um, a journey to really heal my relationship with myself um, and the way that I saw food and the way that I related to movement and the way that I experienced my body. Mm. And I did not even know that there was such a thing as a health coach before that happened. So thanks to Google, I discovered that I discovered this person. I discovered that health coaching was a thing and, and worked with her and, you know, have gone on to work with a number of coaches since then. But that was really when I recognized that this was even a possibility. And then through doing my own work, um, I decided that I wanted to kind of pay it forward, turn around and give back to other women and take everything that I had learned, you know, through my own personal experience, but then also from a lot of education that came after that um, and help other women heal their relationships with food and, and their bodies um, and really at the core, like to heal their relationships with themselves. Because I think that there are so many women um, I think I can say accurately most women who struggle with um, with a sense of self-worth as it relates to their body at one time or another in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, there's a lot of work to be done. I can definitely contribute to this cause. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. It sounds like it was quite a journey for you. And you're actually leading me perfectly into our my next question or our next question on on your website when I was reading more about it because I really have only followed you on Instagram and I never took the time to go to your website but your website contains so much valuable information not only in your blog post but how you speak about your past and you know even in your bio it's just very um, you seem very in tune with yourself which I can imagine took you a while to get there, but must feel great to be there. Um, but with that being said, you wrote about how your current life is drastically different than your, what your past life was like. Um, so would you mind sharing a little bit more about this difference and what it means to you? Sure, totally. So I think, um, I mean, from the outside People might look at my life and see like a few differences. Obviously, I have a career change. Like I'm doing, I'm doing a different job. Um, but I think the biggest changes are the things that happened inside. So mm. before, um, I just struggled so much with hating myself. I mean, I think that's really mm. what it boils down to. I felt every single day like I was not enough. I felt like I was something that needed to be fixed. And I really had this idea that if I could just be perfect, that then everything in my life would be okay, that my real life would start, that I would finally be able to be happy. And I really fixated that. I struggled with perfection in basically every area of my life, Mm -hmm. but I really, really fixated on my body, believing that if I could make my body look a certain way, that I would, by controlling my body, I would be able to control my happiness, I guess is what it boils down to. So I was restricting food. I was overeating because of, um, because of my patterns of restriction with food. I ultimately ended up struggling with binge eating as well, Mm -hmm. which a lot of women who restrict end up struggling with. Um, and just so much negative self-talk. 
And I think the big way that the career piece plays into that as well is that because I was so insecure, because I hated myself so much, because I was always looking to, because I wanted to feel enough and I was always looking for um, that worthiness, that I looked for external approval a lot Mm -hmm. and was such a people pleaser and never really took the time to connect with myself and reflect on what I was passionate about or what I was interested in or what I liked. I didn't even know those things at all. I just knew what I should do or what I should eat or how I should exercise or what I should become in my career. And so that's ultimately how I ended up going to law school and becoming an attorney is because I just did what I thought that I should do without ever pausing to say, is this even something that you're remotely interested in? Or is this something that you're passionate about? Or, you know, any of that. It was just all about the external shoulds and wanting to get that external approval. Mm -hmm. Because in a moment where I got external approval, I would feel in that moment for a second, like, oh, I'm okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. Totally. So that was kind of the before, I guess. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that because mm-hmm. um, the before seems like a really challenging time for you. And to think that you went through law school and attorney as and to become an attorney as something that you should do, that shows how much it was really important to you, the external, you know, everything that was going on around you instead of focus. That's wow. That's really powerful. Like mm-hmm. very powerful. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. sharing. Um, so I how a, is, oh, go ahead, Meg. Oh, Meg go ahead. Yeah. I have a follow-up to that too. Because yeah. I think we can relate a lot of yeah, this yeah, sometimes yeah. to our upbringing. Um, was there a point in time, you know, like, did you feel this way during childhood or was there a point in time where you felt like uh, you started feeling the need to, um, to be a people pleaser? Did that stem from something in your past? at all? Yeah. I mean, I would say that it started for me as a really young kid. Um, So I, my dad passed away last year, but towards the end of his life, we had a, we had a wonderful relationship. Like we healed a lot of stuff in our relationship. So this is in no way, you know, me calling him like a bad dad or criticizing him Mm -hmm. or anything, but he, he grew up in Serbia. It was Yugoslavia at the time. Um, he was a physician. He came to this country. He worked really hard to establish himself and provide for his family. Um, but because of the stressors of being an immigrant and his job pressures and stuff, he would come home a lot from work, very stressed out. Mm -hmm. And we have had like, he and I had tons of conversations about this. Um, and so I feel like comfortable sharing it, but basically Mm -hmm. his stress that he felt at work, he would just take it out. He would take it out on us. Like, you know, he would have a short temper or seem really frustrated or be like quick to be angry. Mm -hmm. And so at a very early age, I learned like, okay, I have to pick the perfect words so that I don't aggravate this or so that I don't escalate this or so that he doesn't get frustrated with me. And so it was at like, I mean, I don't know, like I have memories three, four years old of being, of thinking I need to really like make him happy so that he doesn't feel frustrated. And then again, like being very busy with his career and carrying like a lot of stress because of that. um, I can remember feeling like I needed to bring him whether or not this was true for him, to me, in my eyes, I felt like I needed to to show him 
things that I was doing well so that he would be proud of me. So like, oh, I got this great grade. This is something dad and I can connect on, or this is something he'll be mm-hmm. proud of me for. And he'll give me kind of like a moment of attention or um, like, you know, just some recognition or whatever it might be, some affection. And so I definitely with 100% certainty can say that it started then. And then I think, you know, what we're all faced with as we get a little bit older and when we start to consume just, you know, when we're little, we don't consume a lot of cultural influences Mm -hmm. or messages or media. But I think, you know, as soon as you hit middle school, like you're taking in commercials, you're reading magazines, you're hearing kids talk at school, all of those things. And I think as women, we are constantly fed messages that we are not enough and that we need to buy this thing or do this thing or be this way in order to be enough so that we can be loved and accepted. So it started as a kid Mm -hmm. and for person, like in a very personal way. And then it was totally, um, you know, like the beast was fed just by our cultural messages at large. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. I'm sorry to hear yeah. about your dad. Um, oh, thank you. Although I am glad to hear you were able to, you know, repair and work through that relationship together. Yeah. I can imagine mm-hmm. that there were a lot of really impactful conversations that were had between mm-hmm. the two of you that must have made, you know, the last year, last bit of time together really special. So I'm totally. glad that that was happened, that happened for you. Yeah. I have a lot of joy and peace about, <sighs> about the whole situation. So that's a very that feels very good in my heart. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear it. Um, and I love what you just said about um, how the beast was fed when you were younger, but then it continued being fed as you got older through this um, through social media or not social media for, through social messages and such like that. And that's something I hope we talk a little bit further moving forward. But I wanted to jump back because um, you know, reading on your website again, you had a bit of an aha moment actually when you were on your honeymoon, and you spoke about this in in the following quote: "You had a in that tearful." meltdown moment, I realized that my insecurities and fear were dressed, were distracting me from the wonderful life I had right in front of me. What was this realization like? Yeah. So I feel like that moment was a mix of like a breakdown and a breakthrough, I guess. It was for sure a turning point for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were on our honeymoon. And like I shared with you guys, you know, I had really been struggling in my relationship with food and exercise. So I was restricting, counting a lot of calories, eliminating tons of food groups, and also um, intensely exercising. And so we go on our honeymoon and we're in Quebec City, which is just a wonderful, magical place. If anybody hasn't hasn't been there, we went and it's, we got married in October. So it was fall time and it's like they take fall very seriously there. So everything mm-hmm. was decorated and it's beautiful. And there's, you know, a lot of French influence and a lot of French cuisine. So we're out at these restaurants and we had one night at dinner where we were eating this dinner and there were lots of sauces and we had wine. And in my mind, I'm trying to calculate how many calories are in this. What do you think the ingredients are in this sauce? Is this like on my okay food list? It's probably not. How many miles am I going to have to run tomorrow morning to make up for like what's happening tonight? And so one thing that I want to say about this kind of, you know, quote unquote, like before time is that I really was never present because I was always needing to be in my head calculating things or thinking about my next meal or if what I was eating was okay or how I was going to, you know, make amends for things that I had done wrong. And so it was really, really hard for me to be present in my life. I'm not sure I was really ever present 
at, at that time, probably for like a decade of my life mm. and was very much in my head. And we went back to the hotel room and I went into the bathroom and just had a breakdown moment where I started crying and just told my husband everything. I'm like, I hate my body. I hate myself. I'm so disgusting. Like all, all of those things that I had always thought inside my head, but had never really fully said out loud to anyone else. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he listened, but he also said the things that you're saying about yourself, like actually aren't true. So I think there's a disconnect between how you're feeling and reality. And I really think that you should get some help with this. Mm -hmm. And so when I got back from my honeymoon, that's when I reached out. Um, uh, that's when I started working with the, my therapist and then also that the coach and, um, just really started to learn how to have a relationship with myself. Mm. Wow. <laughs> that, that sounds like emotional in and of itself. And the fact that you have a husband that's so great who would just sit there and listen and yeah. literally probably just listen to you cry and vent and everything that needed to be said. That's so special. And the fact that he looked at you and like really was able to take internally that you have a disconnect and that, you need to get help. And it was probably that way, that magical way that some people have about saying, you know, um, like I'm concerned about you sort of a thing, but not being like, I'm concerned about you. Like, you yeah. know, like the typical way, it's more of like, I'm really concerned about you and I love you and like that sort of thing. So how special, um, that's so special. <laughs> you probably knew that you married the right man at that point in time. <laughs> totally. Yes, it is so special. And I think for me, it like that moment is a reminder of how, valuable it is to listen to someone and give them space to share what's going on for them. And also when you see someone who like might need support or might need help to just encourage them with that. Not that you can make anyone do anything that they're not ready to do. But I think if someone says to you, like, I'm really struggling with this, that it's actually a huge, like loving gesture to say, like, you're allowed to ask for help. Like it's okay to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely something that I feel like we've touched upon a little bit here on the podcast. Um, but it, um, how would you approach if someone, you know, if you recognize that someone needed help or needed, needed to get further help, or even if they weren't necessarily at that stage, but having that conversation, if I'm concerned about you, what, what tips do you have for people who are listening who may be able to implement that in their life? Yeah, so I think it's a very, it's a, obviously a very sensitive conversation. And it truly is like also a nuanced conversation because it depends on the relationship that you have mm. with that person and how much intimacy you have with that person and how much openness. And, you know, I, I think a great way to lead is always with questions, like asking someone how they're feeling, asking someone how they're doing. Mm. Um, I truly don't believe that anybody, like that anybody is going to be able to get help until they're like really ready to get it. So also going in without the expectation that that person is going to be ready to ask for help, they might not be and that's okay. But I think the best thing that you can do is just let them know that you're there, ask them questions, let them know that you want to listen and that you really want to hear and that you're not just trying to fix them, but that you're genuinely curious with how they're doing and, and where they're at. And, you know, if there's any way that, that you can be like supportive for them. And if someone does open up and share, like, actually, I'm really struggling with this, you know, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. say like, do you have anyone that, that you can talk to who like helps you with this stuff? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I absolutely love what you said about just, even if they're not ready, but 
telling them that you're ready to listen and learn and be supportive because even if they're not ready in that moment, they're going to remember, oh, Simi, Simi said that she'd listen to me. Like even mm-hmm. if it's a month down the line or a day or even a year, it could be the fact, oh, Simi said that, you know, I'm going to go talk to Simi about this because now I'm ready, you know, totally. and that's the first mm-hmm. steps to get there. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think just providing someone with that is so powerful. That's like, mm-hmm. that's big in, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so you spoke a little bit about coming home from your honeymoon and um, getting the steps you needed to adopt a new perspective in your life. So um, what were your next steps? And you said you worked with a, a, um, a therapist and a health coach. And, and tell us a little bit more about how that went on and what that was like for you. Yeah. So whenever I realized, okay, I want to be doing this differently. I am ready to be doing this differently, but I have no idea how to do it differently. That's when I knew that I needed some support and some guidance. So working with the coach and working with the therapist was so huge. Um, and it was, it, it was time. Like it, it was a year and then it was two years and it was really, it was really two solid years of a lot of support and daily work to reframe my mindsets and understand like the reasons why I believed the things that I believed about myself and learning how to choose to treat myself with compassion and kindness and forgiveness. Um, you know, like the way that I, the way that I would treat someone else, but really learning how to, how to do that with myself. Um, it was a daily process over an extended period of time. And I only say that because I think that we, going back to, you know, the thing that we touched on for a moment about like societal messages. Mm-hmm. I think we are just a society that is obsessed with quick fixes. Yes. And so mm-hmm. anytime we're uncomfortable, anytime we recognize that we want to be doing something different or we want to have a certain result or a certain experience, I think we have this idea that we should be able to snap our fingers and get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I cannot speak for everyone's experience, but for me, healing was not a, was not a quick fix. And even though a lot of the things you know that go into healing your relationship with with yourself can be simple, they're certainly not easy because it's years, decades of ingrained ways of thinking and speaking to yourself that you are basically trying to undo and then rebuild. And so it's worth it. It's so totally worth it. But I just offer that not to be discouraging, but to be encouraging for someone who might be on that path and is like, what? I've been, you know, trying to be kinder to myself for a month and I like nothing's changing or, you know, I've been dieting for my entire adult life and I'm trying to listen to my body and it's not working. And it's been like a couple weeks or a couple months that those things really, those things really do um, take time. And I do think that they happen. It happens very, very, very incrementally. It's almost like, I mean, it's truly like learning a new language, even though it's a language that I like once knew, you know, you are born as a baby being able to have like a very healthy, natural relationship with yourself, but then those Mm -hmm. things can be unlearned. So I basically was learning, you know, my body's language, my emotional language, all of those things. And anybody who's learned another language, it's so frustrating at times and you want it to click and sometimes it just doesn't click and your brain is exhausted Mm -hmm. from trying to figure it out and trying to, 
connect the dots and there can be a lot of days like that. But Mm -hmm. um, then slowly over time, it's like you become a little bit, you understand a little bit more and before you know it, you're fluent and it's nothing to speak that language. Mm-hmm. I love the analogy here or the, the thought of it being a language because we've talked before on the podcast about listening to your body and really truly talking mm-hmm. to it and hearing what it's saying back to you. And um, I just read a, a blog post today about um, something similar to what you're talking about. And this girl, she is was recovering from an illness and she didn't know what it actually took to repair her body until she started listening to it. And the fact that she literally like doesn't do much during the day. She really just reads her book or doesn't do any exercise, but she's exhausted just because her body's trying to repair herself. And so I'm imagining you going through this, this period of repairing yourself, not only physically, but mentally and how exhausting that truly must be and taking that time to really, you know, do nothing except heal yourself must have been both like eye-opening and just incredibly like I don't even know like everything coming out like almost like a volcano erupting at once if that makes sense totally definitely mm-hmm. um but slowly, like you said, you began making choices that filled you with joy mm-hmm. and you began listening to this language. Um, so I was curious and, and I would like to know what some of these choices were and, you know, what's, what filled you with joy at that point in time and what's currently filling you with joy? Yeah. So it, it's interesting because thinking back to that time, it, it was literally the most simple things like figuring out what I actually like to eat. I remember being in a health coaching session and her asking me what I like to eat. And I literally didn't know. I said, Mm -hmm. I don't know what I like to eat. I know what I think I should eat, but I don't even know what I like to eat. And so it was finding out even like what brought my taste buds joy. So that was like a crazy thing. And it's interesting because two of my favorite things to consume now are things that I did not let myself have then. One was peanut butter. Um, Peanut butter was on my no list. Um, And coffee. I didn't, I didn't drink coffee and now I love coffee. I like (laughs) love my morning cup of coffee. It's one of my favorite parts of the day. And I love peanut butter. And it's interesting because I had all these reasons, like this long list of reasons Mm. why I wasn't eating those things. Um, and all of the reasons in my mind of why they would be unhealthy and why they would hurt me and why like I wouldn't be safe if I ate them. But through, through the whole healing journey, I was able to say, okay, why don't I just eat it and see how it actually feels to my body? And I'll be the one that decides like if it's going to hurt me or not. And it turns out that I actually feel awesome when I eat peanut butter, like peanut butter makes me feel so good and I don't have any issues with it. And so it's, it was little things like that, like just eating something and sitting there and saying, do I like the taste of this? Which might sound so like weird to some people, but when you, when you have just been operating from a place of shoulds for so long, you don't even know what you, what you like. You don't know what you enjoy. And so it was little experiments like that, like just trying new foods and seeing how it felt, trying new ways of moving my body taking rest days and saying like, how does this, how does this feel? And the more that I connected with myself on those little things, the more that I was able to start, like I learned my own voice and I could start to hear it. And that's when I, you know, ultimately figured out, like I heard that voice that that said, you 
don't want to be an attorney. (laughs) And so, you know, like the voice started to show up in other areas of my life. Um, And then it was, you know, then there's the whole process of working through like, what does that mean? And like, what are the pros and cons here? And what are the fears coming up for me? And is this a risk that I'm willing to take? And so um, it's not as if you just hear what you like and then everything is Mm -hmm. perfect. And that's something that I am really, really, really passionate about like the, a message that I'm passionate about sharing, which is that I don't think that perfect exists. And I, I don't think that there are a checklist of things that we can do in our life. And like, once we've checked them, nothing bad or nothing hard is ever going to happen to us again. Um, I think life is just a series of gifts and challenges and it's about developing the skills to navigate those things. And so I certainly don't want to make it sound like my life now is perfect because it's not. Um, but I don't hate myself. I actually really love and appreciate myself. And that makes it a lot easier and more joyful to navigate like the ups and downs of life. Mm. Um, what skills do you recommend for people to navigate the, the ups and downs of life? Yeah. So I think a big one is learning how to feel your feelings. Mm. Um, it's so much harder than it sounds because, we are just given so many distractions and we're fed a lot of messages about our emotions and how we should feel. And so people can feel guilt and shame for not being happy all the time without realizing that happy is an emotion. So you're not going to feel it all the time and there's nothing wrong with you if you're not happy all the time. And so there can be guilt and shame about feeling emotions that feel counter to happiness. Um, And there are so many ways that we can numb out and distract because we don't actually learn how to sit with those uncomfortable emotions. So learning how to feel feelings is a huge skill Mm -hmm. that can help us, um, that can help us move through life. Identifying your personal values, which of course are going to be different than the other people in your life and your friends or your coworkers or even some family members really getting clear on what your personal values are and living those values out in the way that you, the words that you pick to, to say to others and to yourself, the actions that you take, um, the way that you show up in the world. Like I think those are huge skills. And then ultimately I think learning the skill of, um, of being, being the person that decides what is right for you even if there are external voices telling you their opinion, you ultimately have to check in with yourself and say, how does this feel for me? How is this working for me? Because I know, like I, I mentioned, you know, that, that I had had that thought on my honeymoon, how many miles do I have to run the next day? I was someone who loved running and got into running for very innocent and health promoting reasons. Mm -hmm. And it did not start in uh, it did not start in a disordered way, Mm -hmm. but because of my personality, because of my predisposition to disordered eating behavior and all of that stuff, I ultimately ended up having a really unhealthy relationship with running. And so for me, training for half marathon after half marathon and then marathon after marathon was actually not healthy for me at all. Mm -hmm. But there are people who are marathon runners who are incredibly healthy and that works for them. So it's not like, oh, if you run a marathon, you have an unhealthy relationship Mm -hmm. with exercise. It's not that at all. And I think that's why we have to really practice discernment and take a step back and say, like, what's going on here for me? Is this working for me? Is this Mm -hmm. feeling good to me? Is this 
benefiting me or is this ultimately hurting me? And it's going to be different for different people. And that's why I think like nuance in these conversations is just so important and so valuable because too often I think, you know, we have this idea that running is good for everyone or running is healthy for everyone. Or sometimes in the anti-diet space and the intuitive eating space, it can feel like, oh, running is bad. And neither one of those things is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really good point there about just the nuances and recognizing those. Um, going back a little bit, you were talking about asking yourself, I liked what you said there, asking yourself, is this good for me? You know, what is the best thing for me? Um, it can be really hard for women, especially those that have not thought that way for a while to trust their intuition and find their most authentic selves. Um, why do you think this is so, and what tips do you have on working on this? Yeah, well, I think, you know, outside of personal experiences that someone might have had, um, you know, that would be different for each person. Obviously, we've got a lot of cultural messages that tell us that we are not safe to trust ourselves. So like, I mean, there are just so many messages. I can remember reading like countless articles about how, you know, you can't trust your cravings and you can't trust your hunger and you don't want to feel hungry and all of these things. So we're fed a lot of messages that make us feel like we can't even trust our, like the biological signals that our body is, um, is sending out, is sending off. And so I think it's a huge, um, it's like a huge cultural messaging. And of course those messages are given to us because someone wants us to buy into something that, you know, will fix us quote unquote, fix us so that they can make money. And, you know, the diet industry is a huge, huge, huge industry, you know, billion dollar industry. So it's really important to remember that. And then I also think like an added layer is that we have to have compassion for each other and also remember that we are all impacted by diet culture. And so for a lot of people, that means that we might have grown up in homes with people who were feeding us diet messages because they were impacted by diet culture. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times that can even play out in interpersonal relationships because of how prevalent, um, how prevalent the messages are. Um, And yeah, so I, I think it's, I mean, we're all impacted by it and it's really about taking a step back and recognizing it for what it is and taking those steps to check in with yourself. And I think great questions to ask yourself are, am I doing this because I'm trying to fix myself or am I doing this because I'm trying to take care of myself? Um, because the, the motivation behind those things can be hugely revealing. Mm. I love that reflection question. (laughs) It's like you could literally put that question on anything you do, like literally anything. Mm -hmm. Totally. So powerful. Like, oh, I just think, I just honestly think that's great. And I, I was just talking to um, my therapist the other day and I was telling her, I was like, it would be great just to live on a deserted island or to live in the woods in a cabin and never have Instagram and never Mm -hmm. have magazines or all these things that are feeding into these horrible like messages and they're only being started younger and younger and younger and it pains me to hear you know young girls like I work at a college so they're not that young um actually not much younger than myself but nevertheless um like walk through the hallways and say oh I don't want to eat a candy it's gonna it's gonna make me fat I'm like 
what? Like, if you want to have a candy, like we have a candy bowl in my office and that's why we provide it. Give it a little extra sugar, you know, to go out to practice and just enjoy and have fun with it. And it's things like that, that really kind of make you sit back in your chair and say, gosh, like, when did this happen? How did this happen? How did this world end up like this? Go ahead. And I think social media plays hugely into it now. I mean, really like for me in my it's so interesting because my struggle like actually wasn't influenced by social media at all because right. it yeah. was, I mean, at this point, like we're getting close to like a decade since I was going through all this, like, um, and, and social media just wasn't a thing. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't on social media mm-hmm. and so it didn't play into it, but celebrity culture played hugely into it. Uh. And so websites that I would go to, I mean, I would Google like every celebrity's diet and was uh. very into that. And now, I mean, social media is the the more modern version of that but everywhere and it's i feel like it can be yeah. even more sneaky because oh, yeah. now like yeah. everyone it, i mean it, you almost yeah. feel like everyone is a celebrity uh, and yeah. obviously there are people who build their brands off of mm-hmm. making you like envy their lives and their lifestyle and their body so that you want to like you know, buy into the things that they're promoting and it gets them more followers. And it's so convoluted and twisted and confusing and creates so much comparison that I honestly can't even imagine being like 17 or 16 and having social media because it was already hard enough Mm -hmm. to feel like okay with myself without the, without what social media makes us all feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, that, and I think that's why it's important. Um, we talked, I think, uh, who did we talk to? Social media footprint from yes. uh, Megan Marshall. Megan Marshall. That's right. Yeah. Um, great conversation. I couldn't remember who it was, um, but Megan Marshall yeah. talks about social media and what is it? Footprint. Yeah, what is your social media footprint is what she's essentially asking our listeners. And I think that's a really good question to ask yourself. And it's made me just, but then there's that pressure sometimes to post something. But just thinking about like your Instagram and the impact that that's having, um, you know, is that a positive or a negative imprint? And of course, it's going to also take the person who's consuming the media too. I mean, I think we have a responsibility as social media consumers to also work on just how, you know, if I'm perceiving something a certain way to not let it get to me too much. So it's really challenging. Yeah. And to, and to remember that we can't, control every single message that we are exposed to. But when it comes to social media, we actually do have a lot of control over how Mm we, you know, curate our feed and curate the information that we're taking in and that it, you know, you have permission to unfollow someone or to hide their posts or to hide their Instagram stories or whatever it might be. If for some reason right now it feels triggering or it's making you feel a certain way. And I think what's also important to remember is it doesn't necessarily mean that person's doing anything wrong when you do that. It just means that right now for you, it's feeling hard or it's not, it's not helping you. It's not benefiting you and that's okay. Right. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you're telling that person you are a terrible person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why it's important to follow people such as yourself on Instagram or, you know, others like you, because you're kind of authentic and like, at least I feel like you're very authentic yeah. and I can't speak for others, but, and you're giving messages that make people think it's not just like mm -hmm. a message of like, this is the food I ate today, which is fine. Like if people yeah. want to post that, mm -hmm. but you're also giving people ways to reflect and to think and to, to really question what's, what they're consuming and question what's going on in their lives, which makes mm -hmm. people stop for a minute and reflect which I don't think we do enough in our society. Um, but with long story, long question short there, I guess, um, for people who would like to kind of clean up their social media and such like that, do you have any accounts to me that you would recommend people following for a little bit of a dose of maybe positivity or, you know, this, a really good, like, yeah, I guess positivity might be the best word I, I want to use. Well, I mean, there are, there are so many amazing intuitive eating and body positive accounts. Um, I definitely feel like I, I want to say like scroll through the people that I'm following because there's like at yes. least like 200 yeah. accounts there that are like so awesome. I, um, I actually did that on your account. And I was like, okay, oh. I really like her. Who uh -huh. else can I find here? <laughs> Good. I'm so, I'm so glad that that felt helpful. And I actually like what I also want to say is I think it's so important too for us to follow accounts that if let's say you are someone, someone listening is someone who's struggling a little bit with body image or with their relationship mm -hmm. with food, or mm -hmm. is just feeling like a little bit, you know, sensitive or triggered in that way it is so important to remember like that we can follow accounts that have nothing to do with any of that. And that's actually to me, those are the accounts on Instagram that make me feel the best are the ones where I'm not even thinking about food. And obviously, I mean, I appreciate the intuitive eating, body positive, and health at every size community so much. And I am so grateful to be a part of that community. Um, but I, I actually prefer to consume messages that have nothing to do with that. And so I love to follow like artists and I love to follow poets mm -hmm. and I love to follow actually some of my favorite accounts are people who are professional rock climbers. I, yeah. I like love it. I think it's so fun. I think it's so cool. Um, and it, I flip, I scroll through those accounts and I feel engaged and I feel like it, it's so inspiring. I love following National Geographic. That's um, my favorite. Of, yeah, it's so awesome. So good, right? Yes, totally. I love following like social activists who have, you know, perspectives that are in line with mine. Those are the kinds of things that I feel like make my feed feel like a positive place. And it feels so much better to me than having it just be completely full of food body image stuff, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's almost like refreshing. It's like giving you a, re a refresh button, you know, like totally, it, especially in our society where we're always consuming, like we're very visual people. I feel like we're always looking around, always seeing what's going on in our world. And like, I imagine living in a city and being like, so just always, always ex, um, consuming external things that we may not want to consume, but sometimes we have to. So uh, that refresh button, I feel like, especially on social media, it would be very powerful for a lot of people who are listening. Yeah. I think that's so helpful. And also like just a little social media thing that I know helps me a lot is when you're scrolling through social media, start to notice if an account, if like you see it and you're like, Oh, 
I feel kind of weird or this makes me feel weird or, oh no, I'm comparing myself to her or whatever it might be. Again, it doesn't mean that person's doing anything wrong, but notice how certain things make you feel. Mm. And then that's a great opportunity to say like, okay, I'm going to either go in and unfollow this person for the time being. They will still be there. If you change your mind in a week or in two weeks or whatever it might be, you can go back and refollow them. Or Instagram has that great feature now where you can hide um, Mm -hmm. posts and stories. So I know a lot of my clients will come to me and they're like, I have unfollowed every, you know, account that I feel is triggering who I don't know, but also there's some people in my life who like I do know and I'm not comfortable unfollowing them, which I totally get. That feature is there and is a wonderful feature Mm -hmm. as well. So I think Mm -hmm. just starting to come to social media with like a little bit more presence and really notice how things are making you feel and you're you have permission to honor those feelings mm-hmm. by hiding or unfollowing or whatever it might be yeah i yeah. love that whoops um sorry <laughs> no problem um, um so i guess you just said something that i wanted to t- oh something that i also thought of really quickly in regards to social media i don't know if you've experienced this Simi, is um like we end up in this like health world where we're trusting people um, on social media who are not doctors and who are not registered dietitians or who aren't certified health coaches. And yet we're still, we're, Oh, this person's a vegan. So I'm going to be a vegan, not saying that there's anything wrong with that. Um, or this person's doing that because they said that. And I'm wondering if, you know, I want listeners to really think about, you know, the decisions you're making and what you're feeling as Simi is saying, is that truly, you know, what you are feeling or are you being influenced by these influencers who don't have a license in anything, but yet think they can say these or claim these things. Mm -hmm. So that's really something to think about, I think as well. Totally. I have another question for you too, Simi, is how did you find the right health coach for you? Because I think yeah. at first I, I still do. I think health coaches are awesome, but it's become so saturated that also some health coaches <laughs> out there, but it's like anything else, right? I mean, there's some dietitians that just are not, they're going to prescribe you a diet or a meal plan. And that's not maybe helpful for what someone needs. Um, and there's doctors out there, same thing. So how do you find, or how did you find the right health coach for you? And what advice would you have when someone's kind of browsing through that world? Totally. It does feel, it's crazy. Like in the last five years, I felt like people didn't know what, I mean, I shared, I didn't know what a health coach was when I started working with one. Nobody knew what a health coach was when I said, I'm leaving like the law firm to start this coaching practice. Nobody knew what it was. And now it feels like there's a lot of health coaches. Um, So let's say that someone, well, how I found my health coach was Google. Um, and it wasn't saturated at the time. So that's what I'll say. Like it was, it was definitely a different world that I was living in. You know, it was like eight, almost eight years, seven, eight years ago, um, when that happened. Um, and I, I think I probably, I think I Googled something like, I don't want to diet. I don't want to hate my body help or something like that. But now what I would say is that if I would recommend that you seek out a health and wellness professional who, um, who specializes in 
intuitive eating and health at every size. Um, if, if you are interested in the things that I like that I'm talking about, obviously there's lots of different people who practice in different ways, but, um, I would always encourage people to look for into the, the terms intuitive eating and health at every size. And just like a side note, those are both two great books, intuitive eating and health at every size worth giving a read. Um, and look for people who, um, who are doing that kind of work. And I also think it's really important, like read the things that those people write, read the content that they're putting out, read some of, you know, if they do have a blog or if they have contributed to places, read what it is that they're writing about and see how it resonates with you and see if their approach is something that you feel connected to. And then, um, I think most people offer some sort of consultation. So I think it's also Mm -hmm. important to connect with that person and say, um, do I, do I feel connected to this person? Is this person making me feel comfortable? Ask as many questions as you want. You have every right to, to ask questions and really trust yourself in that process. And do yeah. health, now I don't know anything about health coaching, so you both can probably correct me here mm-hmm. um, or give an answer here. Um, is there a certification that people should be looking for? I, I, you know, like I know people who are, doc- I don't even know really, like, you know, when you go to a personal trainer, you want to see that they're ACSM or whatever cert, I don't even know. Um, totally. uh-huh. But is there a certification that people should look for in health coaching? Uh, do, unless you want to answer this one. No, you I can go ahead. You, you can, can both go. answer. Okay, so, perfect. You go um, first. And then I'll answer to the knowledge that I have. I, I know it's called the International Consortia. Am I on the right track? There's a there's an international board of health coaches, mm-hmm. um, and they have approved certifications. I'm trying to find what it's exactly called. The International Association of Health Coaches, yeah. and there's a cons- consortium for health and wellness coaching. And they have a directory in which they recommend certain certifications, I believe. Amazing. So it's becoming more and more standardized, I guess would be the right word to say. And uh, there are a couple certifications on there that, yes, I would recommend. How about you, Simi? Do you have a good answer? No, that's – I mean, that's exactly what I say. There there are certifications. Also, you – it's one of those things where – it is becoming way more standardized. And I mean, the certification has, has been around, but it's becoming more and more common for schools that, you know, like claim to be health coaching schools mm-hmm. to allow you to get certified and all of that. So I think that's great. I love that, that it's moving in that direction. Um, but you, I mean, really anyone can say that they are a coach. So I also mm-hmm. think that that's important to know that a lot of people coach from, um, from, personal experience or whatever it might be. So not every coach is certified. Yes, there is a certification and you can absolutely ask someone who you are talking to, um, are you certified or what are your certifications or what, um, you know, what are your experiences? Yeah. And Kelsey, we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, It's called ICHWC and they have approved programs. Um, I would say at least these can be pretty reputable because a lot of them are through universities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Great. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in the show notes for anyone who would possibly be looking for a health and wellness coach or maybe want to go through the process um, themselves. Um, and that would be a really awesome thing for any of our listeners to do. Um, so we're wrapping up here, Simi. Um, and one, t- one question we always ask our, um, our guests is, what advice would you give to your younger self? Um, the advice that I would give to my younger self is that you are never going to have all the answers, so you don't need to worry about figuring it all out, that it will continue to unfold and you'll come up with new questions and that you're, you're never going to know everything or have it all figured out. So you can just learn how to be in the unknown and enjoy that as much as possible because I definitely, my younger self definitely thought that I needed to have it all figured out. Mm, that's a really good one. I don't think we've heard that advice, Meg. I, I think that's that's one of my favorites I think I've heard. Um, so our last question we usually say is, what does being a strong runner chick mean to you? But I kind of want to put a twist on it. And I want to ask you kind of what does being a strong runner chick in her and feel confident in her natural body, what does that mean to you? What is that, you know, the, the wellness that you want to give to women out in the world? What does that mean to you? Yeah, well, I think as it relates to, you know, being a, being a strong runner chick and movement and having that, having that confidence in your own skin, that you are really, you're really moving for the joy of it and finding the gratitude in movement and finding the gifts in movement rather than doing it from, um, from a place of, of punishment. And I, to me, I think that would, that would definitely be what it is. I love that. And we didn't really get into this, but are you finding, I'm, I'm, I heard a little bit in our opening um, that Uh you're starting to find more of a gratitude and gift in movement in running again after taking some time off. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? Totally. So I was an avid runner for many, many years. And like I mentioned, you know, previously it started out from like a really wonderful, healthy, like loving place, mm-hmm. and then went to more disordered place. And then I ultimately mm-hmm. took years off of running mm-hmm. because I just did not have a healthy relationship with it um, and needed to learn how to find joy and pleasure in movement and do it for the love of it, not because I felt like I should. Mm-hmm. And it's been so interesting. But um, in the last couple of months, I have had so many days where I've just woken up and the way that I have wanted to move my body is just going for a run. And so I have been doing that and it's just been, it's been so fun. Oh, yay. Yeah. And like we, we started the podcast off, it's the perfect time of year to start that. Your body um, must be telling you something. My goodness. Yeah. Just be in sync with mother nature. Totally. Fall is like such a romantic time to go for runs. <laughs> it totally is like the crunching leaves and the smell of the air. Oh, it just gives you goosebumps. <laughs> the not sweating as much. Yeah. <laughs> or like hacking up, like, like trying to breathe in the humidity. Oh, no fun whatsoever. Um, but yeah, Simi, thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak with us tonight. My goodness, I feel like there's so much that we captured tonight that, that was very um, worthwhile for a lot of people, I think. Um, and so thank you for, for sharing all your love and your wisdom and, you know, your trials and tribulations with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. It was so wonderful. Yeah, thanks again.
Um, all right, Strong Runner Chicks, thank you so much for joining us, um, and we hope you are all doing well. Talk to you soon. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Strong Runner Chicks Radio. Do us a favor and leave a review in iTunes to help spread awareness and foster the SRC community. Additionally, make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Strong Run Chicks.